because we're talking about our Safely Home series, and this month we've been talking about those things that have captivated us, and we are using the example of the children of Israel who were taken into captivity in Babylon and how they were taken in captivity. Uh, this year we've talked about how they were first confused and then they were compromised and then they were taken into captivity and then our next cycle will be in terms of redeveloping a sense of community and uh, actually we will be getting to that. Uh, Alan will start that in a couple weeks uh, while uh, Elizabeth and I are gone. He's going to be our special guest speaker on the 23rd. And then we'll pick back up on that at the end of June because we've got a lot of special days in between all of that where we talk about how we can rebuild and restore uh, the community. So uh, we are talking about captivation this month and how we're captivated today in perspectives of sanctity. And I want to talk to you today about holy proactivism, holy Proactivism. Well, I'm so glad that you have allowed me to pretend in the last couple of weeks to be a prophet a couple of weeks ago and then a pundit last week. I think I enjoyed being a prophet more than I enjoyed being a pundit, but uh, I appreciate you letting me pretend that I could be those things and enjoy what other people seem to be enjoying these days. And I've been thinking what I'd like to be this Sunday. And uh, I think what I'd like to be this Sunday is a pro-activist. Now, a pro-activist is someone who elevates activism. And since activism is such a big thing going on in our country right now, it seems like everybody's an activist, getting all our kids uh, involved in activism and different things. But I would like to be a pro-activist because a pro-activist is someone who elevates the idea of activism. As the Urban Dictionary describes, it's one who goes beyond talking of the problem to courageously, innovatively, and positively solutioning the problem. And I like that word solutioning. It's not really a word, but they made one for us today. In other words, a proactive person is someone who is able to go beyond the limitations of activism and actually get things done. And if we really want to be part of a generation where we are finally able to get past some of the things that have haunted us as a culture in our society, then we need to agree that we are going to have, we, we need to be wholly proactive. Now, in this post-Christian, post-modern, neo-pagan era, activism or the practice of activism has become the new religion of the day. People don't have to go to church because they can save themselves, save their neighbors, or save the world in some different way. It is purely, though, a secular religion. Our young have been especially targeted as the new disciples of this religious movement as they are taught to observe the secular progressive commands of the day. Activism finds its expression in Things like social justice, which is a good thing. Saving the planet, it's all right. Genderism, feminism, and many other isms, any ism that's out there. But in most cases, and listen carefully, God is not needed or even wanted by activists because they believe they have the power. They have the power. 
to save themselves, save others, and even save this world. What a convenient distraction. Who might be behind that, I wonder? But the inadequacy we're finding in activism these days is, because, is uh, clear. And that's why it calls for something different. Because activism is starting to grind into self-destruction around us. That's why we need proactivism. And proactivism is that any effort of who uh, calls for that kind of proactivism. Because any effort of humankind to save themselves with what they believe to be high ideas or pretense that God's knowledge is unnecessary or even damaging their cause is just another tired old scheme of Satan to take captive as many as he can for as long as he can until they wake up and realize they're spinning their wheels and stuck in the mud and they long for something genuine and real. Now, the truth is that any problem we have as people or society can be described in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Paul says there, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now let's unpack that just a bit. We live in this world, and Paul describes here that we're in a battle. On one side, we have those who argue against God. They they have these arguments which are computations. And before there we had computers, uh, when we used the word to compute, we would talk about how we were thinking. Now if you say compute, you say, where's my laptop? But in the original language here that Paul uses, he's talking about the computations, how we start trying to work through and solve whatever problem we have with all the algorithms that we got up in our own head. We demolish those kinds of arguments and every pretension, which means high exaltation, means that I'm smart enough and I'm gifted enough and I'm good looking enough to do whatever I want to do, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now there's the key sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's why when we say activism today that secularizes itself away from the, the, sol the solutioning that God provides in His Word in which we have peace with one another through Christ, any effort towards that kind of activism will be futile. So what we need to be is wholly proactivists, who understands succinctly that any time we compute in our thinking that our ideals are better or superior to what God has already revealed in His Word that we should do, that we must tear down those ideas, those, that way of thinking, 
and restore taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. And here's the bold statement that I'm going to make today that's true, is that any thought, any computation, any idea that is not obedient to the idea of Christ and the gospel and what he's revealed to us in his word and how we deal with one another and how we solve the problems that we have, if it is not obedient to Christ, then again, it's going to be frustrating. Because Jesus knows us better than anyone else. He actually created us. We were made by and for and through him, remember? Activists believe there's power in numbers. But Jesus teaches us that true power is found in agreement. This is illustrated in the two or three principle that we talked about a few months ago. In Matthew 18, 19 through 20, it says, Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth will agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So you picture some of the city streets in our country that are filled with Lots of people carrying signs and yelling and screaming and demanding. They really have no power in the heavenlies. Yet you get your neighbor or your family together and you agree in prayer and you ask for peace and ask that it starts with you, with your friends and family and neighbors and your community. And God hears from heaven and he heals our land. Now, our true power to make significant social change is in that agreement. When we're agreeing with one another through prayer because we're asking God to unleash His creative power into our little problems, and they are little by comparison. We always think they're big. We amplify them because there are problems that are going on in our particular situation. But God can unleash his creative power into any problem that we might have in any effort, and I repeat, any effort, to address or solve any problem we have without appealing to our Heavenly Father for wisdom and intervention is an exercise in futility and an expression of foolishness. But if we all could become holy activists, if the church could just rise up and elevate activism, it could become the powerful agent of change God has authorized and for which we are equipped through Christ already. How do we know that? Well, just look at history in the church. I love the writings of Rodney Stark. He's a sociologist who goes back and looks at history, especially involving the church, to try to unpack how the church really came to be the significant power that it is in the world. How it went from just a handful of people in the first century to a third of the world's um, um, population currently. He points out that the thing that and this is in his book, Triumph of Christianity, in which he details the specific things that the church did. He kind of uh, melted it all down to this particular idea, and that was they were proven 
by their integrity. Christians are proven by their integrity. They demonstrated their integrity in that when they saw someone who was hungry, they did what? And when they saw someone who was thirsty, they did what? And when they saw someone who was in prison, what did they do? Okay, so Jesus, he, he identifies there with that picture of the sheep and the goats. When you saw me, and when we do it in the name of Jesus, we've done it unto? Yeah, we've done it unto him. They lived that out. Could not be contained. So, how did that help them whenever they were dealing with racism? Well, we think that racism is new, like we invented it here in the United States of America. Nope, it's not new. Racism has always been with us since Ham, Shem, and Japheth went their separate ways. How does the church deal with that? We deal with that by seeing everyone as Christ, and we want to serve and help them in whatever their need might be. But our problem is, is that we have co-opted responsibility for our effort towards peace to the government or to other loud-speaking organizations who say they are the ones who know how to bring us to peace. And again, I would point you back to pundits last week and look at that message if you missed it. But I know if I'm the, to be a holy proactivist, especially in this culture, that Satan's going to take notice. So I better be ready for a challenge from those in this world who hope to keep God out of the question because that's the whole point of neo-pagan activism. It is to secularize God, to exclude him from solutions. Because if we don't see that God is the solution, we won't think that we need God in any way. So as we try to keep God out of the equation in this neo-pagan environment, that allows those who want to include sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, and greed, which is the modern form of pagan idolatry, according to Paul in Colossians 3. We're to put these things to death. We're to put them away. These things are expressed, and listen carefully, and see if a, a picture comes to mind when you think of activism. It is expressed in anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Have you seen a riot lately? Or even a peaceful protest? All these things are efforts by modern-day activists, but they're also a dead giveaway that any form of activism that includes these things and excludes God is a stronghold of Satan that has taken many captive that must be torn down. And we are in that period, I think, in my opinion, we are in this period of captivity, especially our young, where they've come to believe or not even think of the, the solution that God can offer through the problems that we have in life, that all you need to do is get a sign and go march on the street or a demand change or whatever the case might be. But what that neglects is what God's solution is, which is very personal. And God's solution is personal because it was through Christ, as we talked about last week, that peace comes through his sacrifice. We have peace with God through Christ, which allows us then to have peace with one another. There's no other way to have peace. None. 
And because we believe that, that's a dangerous way to think. So the devil, he's going to do everything he can to disrupt your holy proactivism. So you need to be ready. Are you ready to stand against the waves and winds of paganism that are rushing over our country right now? That are clothed in the higher ideas of activism? Those pretensions that go against the the truth of Christ? And are you ready to be an advocate for sacred truth? You stand alone, support accountability, speak authentically from the perspective of sanctity? If you are, then you're a rare commodity these days. But you're a precious commodity as well. Jeremiah can be our inspiration and hero to become holy proactivists. Because he was chosen by God out of all the people in this country, or his country, to represent sacred truth. Now, sacred truth, or eternal truth, is the idea that as God is our creator, and we're made by, for, and through him, everything that flows in creation must go back to him. We must think about him. He needs to be the point of reference. And today, as we talk about the point of view of Scripture That's what we have to look at life through, that prism. God chose Jeremiah out of all the people in his country to represent sacred truth in the face of the social activist of his day. I don't remember reading about activism back in Jeremiah's day in the late days of the, the people of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. But they were there. And I'll explain here in just a bit. They demanded change, these activists. But they believed that that change would come in a different way than what God had prescribed. They felt themselves to be enlightened enough to affect change without following God's law, His perspective, His patterns, His principles, His structure, His system. So like Jeremiah... We must be courageously we must courageously advocate the biblical point of view in the face of those who feel like they're so smart and enlightened that they can do it without God. And here's why it's so important is because those who feel like they're so enlightened and they can do it without God, they can create all kinds of activity. But it always spins them into even greater frustration and greater divisiveness. In other words, they may proclaim that they're working towards peace, but as we talked about last week, they're using peace as bait, as a bargaining chip or a bartering tool. You follow me, I'll give you peace. We follow them, no peace comes, greater division comes, we wonder what's going on. But all the while, they are being enriched, or their name is being promoted, they're elevated. Or we are uh, have politicians who seize upon that, and then they increase their authority over us, more so than what God has told them. That's why it's so important for us to be wholly proactivists in this world. We must prepare to advocate, stand alone, support accountability, And speak authentically, just like Jeremiah. So let's unpack this together. Let's talk about standing alone, first of all. It's hard 
are standalone these days. Although there are a lot of people, especially young people, they think we're standing alone. You know, we're a, a voice crying out in the wilderness. I wish they could get to know Jeremiah a little bit better. Because like Jeremiah, God will demonstrate through our life that even when we seem to be outnumbered, we will not be overcome when God is with us. And he will rescue us so he will rescue us so that we can courageously advocate the godly perspective as a proactive solution to all our problems. You young people who are here today, you want to really be an activist, then be a holy proactivist, but you got to be willing to stand alone these days. Jeremiah knew what it felt like to stand alone. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, it says there, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. If you were the last one, the last Christian on the face of the earth, would you be able to stand holding on to this promise? God says to Jeremiah, got to get yourself ready. Now, he was not the only one, but it sure seemed like it when you read the history and you look at how the geo or the theopolitical movements changed with Jeremiah when he stood with the, before the kings or the priests or other prophets. The other prophets were always against him. But God chose him specifically to be his voice because those other voices had become so pretentious and so high thinking that they no longer believed they needed God to solve the problems that were going on in their society. Listen to this. It matters not the odds against you. The only thing that matters is the one who is for you. We might be outnumbered. I'm glad to have all these young people here today. Hopefully they'll be able to take some of this and process it in their own mind because you guys are the voice of the next generation. Don't be afraid to stand alone. If you see that your friends and everybody else is trying to do everything without God, you know that's going to be frustrating and end in failure. So don't be afraid to stand alone knowing that it matters not the odds against you as long as you have the one for you. Of course, we're talking about God. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 through 58, it says, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. Sometimes we think in the church or with Christianity and all these things that are going on, we're no longer relevant because the world is, seems to be doing all these positive things or want to do all these positive things. 
We break these things down, but you have to understand Satan is tricky. He comes as an angel of light. He comes in the form of someone who says, listen, I can help you save yourself, save others, save this world. And here's some ideas. That's what modern activism has become. The problem with the modern activists is that they are subject to the same immorality that has overtaken this neo-pagan culture. So they will always justify the means by the ends that they desire. And if it means that they need to be more violent or more forceful or more demanding or more hurtful or more uh, rude, then they'll do that thinking that peace is worth all of that. But God teaches us that's not how this works. That's why we also, instead of not just standing alone, is we need to support the idea of accountability. Because like Jeremiah, God will demonstrate through your life that even when you seem to be outgunned by experts and academics, and people who sound like they know what they're talking about, that's the pundits again, those talking heads. Even though you might be outgunned, they will be held personally and practically accountable. And you, if you remain faithful to the Lord, you will prevail. They will suffer in their decisions. So we need to courageously advocate the godly perspective as the proactive solution to all our problems. Because again, lots of people can say a lot of things they think they're making perfect sense. And God's always saying, listen, you got to come to your senses and here's how. We offer the perspectives of sanctity. We're set apart. And so part of that is saying we must support this idea of accountability. <laughs> Jeremiah was a little more um, direct in his application of this. If you look at Jeremiah 18, verse 18 through 23, he is having this conversation with God about accountability. And let's listen in on his conversation with the Lord. He says, they said, come, let's make plans against Jeremiah. For the teaching of the law by the priests will not cease, nor will counsel from the wise, nor the words from the prophets. What that simply means is Jeremiah is preaching one point of view, the biblical point of view, the godly point of view, and the priests and the, the counselors and others are teaching something different. They're going to keep doing that. You're going to be outnumbered. You're going to be outgunned, so to speak. They're not going to stop. They'll say, so come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Listen to me, Lord. Hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil, yet they have dug a pit for me? Remember that I stood before you and spoke in their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. So give their children over to famine, hand them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives be made childless and widows. Let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. And let a cry be heard from their houses when you suddenly bring invaders against them. For they have dug a pit to capture me and have hidden snares for my feet. But you, Lord, know all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from their sight. Let them be overthrown before you. 
deal with them in the time of your anger. Now we might think that sounds a little bit harsh these days. That's not, uh, that's not pleasant talk, Jeremiah. You're saying all these things about this is kind of mean. You should be nicer. But I hope you realize that what Jeremiah is doing here is, since he is the real live uh, living demonstration example of the attitude of the people towards God, they're going to take out what they felt towards God on Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's words, his prophecy here, and we have to know they're inspired, God is speaking through Jeremiah the very things that is going to come upon those who are going to try to plot to kill Jeremiah and cease his voice. And if you look at the text and you look at the story, these things did eventually happen to those priests and those teachers and those experts who were uh, scheming against Jeremiah. But Jeremiah, he knows that any effort to thwart the plan of God will be thrown down. That God will deal with people as God always deals with people. That's why it matters not the credentials of those against you. There can be a lot of them. But it really is about the credibility of the one who is for you. And if God is for us, who can stand against us, the scripture says. It reminds us here in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, that accountability is always comes to uh, play in every situation. Do not be deceived, it says. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary then in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Simply said, Paul reminds us that those who are going against what God teaches, they will reap what it is that they're sowing. And even though they say they're sowing peace, what they're reaping, what they're really sowing is divisiveness. And that's what will come back to them in their lives. And they will be destroyed. They will be judged by God in a practical sense in their own life. Because this principle of you reap what you sow cannot be changed. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. No one can change that in this world. This is God's mandate for living in life. You can try to ignore it. But that's why we must always support accountability, not just for ourselves, but for the words of every other person, every activist who claims that they are trying to lead us to peace or to truth. And whatever ism they might be active in. We have to look at the life and the integrity of that life. Rodney Stark also wrote a book called Cities of God, and I just finished it. It's really, 
It's not, it's, not, it's not fun reading, by the way, so I'm not saying go out and get it unless you like, um, you like charts and graphs and, and, um, and how they break those numbers down to try to understand better what was going on. But the thing that he points out is that uh, for, the, for the Christians early on who were trying to support accountability, there was a lot of competition, a lot of it. We forget that when the church first started, there was paganism that uh, pretty much was the idea with the pantheon of gods in the Roman culture. They had every, they had all the different names that we sometimes now uh, we're trying to bring back into our experience. You know, like the Greek gods, the Roman gods. They had Judaism that they were trying to deal with in which there were some Jews who, in their conversion to Christianity, wanted to bring over the idea of the law, and Paul dealt with that pretty clearly. Then there was this thing called Gnosticism during the first 100 years to 200 years of the existence of the church, where there were those, again, who came in, and this is, this is a Gnostic means to know, and the idea here is that it's, it's not written or revelatory knowledge that's written, recorded in the Scripture. It is personal knowledge that God is giving you in the moment, in, that, in a revelation in a particular moment. It's, it means that I know, that I know that God is speaking to me very clearly, very distinctly, and even if it is something that is against Scripture because I have this personal, this personal connection with God and I know that I know it, then I can do whatever I know that I know I'm doing. Does that make sense? At the heart of that was that Jesus did not come in the flesh. They believed that the world was all evil and um, that it was here created by a demigod. Uh, that was a Greek idea that came out. They had all kinds of explanations here, so they didn't need the Bible. They didn't need God's point of view that was in the written, recorded uh, thing because they could just know it. They could know what God. And there were only certain people, which they did this same thing in, in not here too long ago called the Jesus Project, where they knew what they knew. They didn't need what God's Word said, but they were going to judge the Bible and whatever is written in it, whether it was really from God, because they knew that they knew if it was true or not. These are kinds of things that we still deal with today. The friends who are activists who come to us and say, I know that the world, I know that the planet's going to die in 12 years, or I know that we can have racial harmony and peace if we just did X, Y, or Z, and I know that, uh, I know that, that, that um, this might be something in the Bible that says that's that's sin or that it's immoral, but you know it's just love, right? And, and I know that it's got to be true. We deal with those kinds of things all the time. That's where we have to support the idea of accountability because we reap what we sow. But you can't be vile about it. You have to speak authentically about it. And that's the third thing we unpack here. So, like Jeremiah. God will demonstrate through your life that even when you seem to be outcast by culture, canceled, that it is God they hate and are really trying to cut off. 
But he will avenge your cause, so courageously advocate the godly perspective as the proactive solution to all our problems. Simply said that if God's not in it, it ain't going to work. And it doesn't matter if the whole world says to you, well, you can't bring God into this. Separation of church and state, separation of church and state. Doesn't sound like Barney Fife, you know, or like a Gomer, citizens rest, citizens rest. I wish they would just read that letter that has that statement in it. They wouldn't still get it, but I wish they'd read the letter. Besides, even if Thomas Jefferson um, were said something like that that they claim, it doesn't mean that it's right. We deal in a situation here where we are called to speak authentically even when the world's trying to cancel what it is that we're trying to say. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 17 through 20. It says, The Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you because the people, both, uh, both Israel and Judah, have done evil and aroused my anger by burning incense to Baal. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it, for at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name, um, be, his name be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. There will always be plots to silence the people of God, the pro, holy proactivists who really want peace, who really want folks to find true love, who really want there to be equity. But if you're going to do that through the cause of Christ, then they're going to try to not just cut you off, they want to cut you off from the land of the living. They want to cut both the fruit and the tree down. That's you and God. Your voice, His voice. And they're going to do it with these fancy, fancy people who get up there and say, you no longer can have a voice because of the way you speak to others. You mentioned God. That's hate language. You know that, right? You can be posting something in social media and talk about the love of Christ. And people will comment and say, why do you hate people? Because to them, the love of Christ means we can no longer serve ourselves in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. And when you're talking about Christ, they got to shut you down so that they can burn down that tree. Never works, but they got to try. So it matters not the prestige of those who are speaking out against you. The only thing that matters is the promise of the one who is for you. And here's God's promise is he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He will always uphold our cause when our cause is him. Always. So we must courageously advocate the biblical point of view because we know that even if we are outnumbered, outgunned, or outcast, we will never be outdone if God is for us. We sometimes assume that because it's happening right now in our little picture, you know, our little snapshot of life, that God's not effective or powerful or strong. 
But if you go back and consider the last 2,000 years of where the church started and where it is now, we may be having a little bit of difficulty uh, with our own identity in Christ right now because of what's going on in the world. But that doesn't mean that God has somehow wandered from the throne or that his plan has somehow been thwarted. Someday the king of kings will return again and we have to be ready for that. We have to be safely home in our own homes, our communities, and the challenges that we face. And we do that by standing up and speaking authentically for God about what the truth is. In the early church, they faced all kinds of threats. Nero tried to just wipe them out. Cletian was even more um, uh, rude and evil than Nero. And then Julian, he comes along after Christianity was established by Constant, uh, Constantine. And he tries to thwart it. But every time that happened, they were cruelly attacked. They were brutalized. They were martyred for the sake of Christ. But God always upheld the cause of holy proactivism because that is the only thing that can save us. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all for us all, how we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Jeremiah used that same terminology. It seems to the world that we're just like sheep to be slaughtered. They're underestimating us in the power of Christ. And this has happened for centuries. He says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels conquerors through him or demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and his cause for this world. We are more than conquerors. We are the victors. Many challengers have come and gone, courted Rodney Stark. His, his synopsis, his kind of conclusion when he studies all these things, their lives of things that rise up and they take on Christianity. There are victims in those battle wars, those holy wars. There were victims to the holy war with communism and Nazism and fascism. And we still played, see that played out today globally in our world where in China, the church has doubled in number even in the face of all the persecution that it is going through right now. And it is severe. Why? Why do we continue? Because we believe as holy proactivists, we are more than conquerors. And that as we speak the biblical point of view, God can bring peace and hope and fulfill his promise to prosper us and give us peace and comfort in this world.
Many challengers have come and gone, but the church has prevailed. And the question for us, for this generation, for mine and the young people who are here today is, will we be a part of the revival and restoration? Or will we be witnesses of the further degrading of this promise? Will we drift deeper into the captivity? Or will we rise up and return home to the city of God and to his temple to serve him as his holy proactivists for his glory, even though we have to stand alone and hold ourselves accountable and be authentic? Well, I trust and pray that we will be holy proactivists who are ready to stand up, be strong. Doesn't matter who's against us as long as God is for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into this, this concept of holy proactivism, uh, considering the life of Jeremiah. When we read his story, we realize that you made it difficult for him so that as we would look at his life, we'd realize how difficult it can be for us at times when we're standing for you. We should be ready to have those in this world resist us because what they're doing is setting their knowledge up against Christ Jesus and we're simply trying to restore every thought and take it captive and make obedient to his presence, his concept, the reality that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I pray that you will give us strength, that you will give us the sense of conviction to be the holy proactivist that we need to be in this very active, this, uh, this time of activism in our country. And whether it's a, an athlete, a pro, pro ball player, or an actor, or some talking head that we see on Twitter or wherever, that we'll always look at things from the perspective of sanctity, your point of view from your word to judge and consider whether their words have merit or meaning. And that we'll not be afraid to disagree or to stand up and speak truth in those moments because there might be someone who's listening who needs to hear that, who needs that encouragement, who needs to be motivated and inspired in that way. So help us to be strong in the public square. Stand for you. Now pray this in Jesus' precious name. Let all God's people say.